Woody Allen used this song in Midnight in Paris. I, I saw the remake of that with uh, Owen Wilson. Si tu vois ma mère. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm PJ Professional Clay Winnell. This is my dad, Dr. Dirk Winnell. He's going to start Tuesday night live with a little live performance. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the good doctor and a rendition of When You See My Mother. One, two, three. Si tu vois ma mère by Dr. Dirk Winnell. What did we just listen to there, Dan? This is um, a song written by Sidney Bechet in 1952. He was um, one of the first great artists to use the saxophone in jazz. And he wrote, he was a composer in this uh this was one of the uh, his more famous songs. Woody Allen used it in the uh, Midnight in Paris movie. So zooming back out a little bit, I thought saxophone was always associated with jazz. You're saying that saxophone was not one of the original instruments? Not at all, no. It was clarinet, trumpet, uh, trombone, uh, piano, drums, and uh, some sort of a bass, either a tuba sousaphone or um, string bass. Is that because the saxophone hadn't been invented yet? It had been invented, but it was a kind of a redheaded stepchild, if you will. It was uh, not accepted by the jazz community, and it was not accepted or uh, written for by the uh, classical community. And it was really um, a request of the French military army for this uh, gentleman from Belgium, whose last name was Sax, uh, Alphonse Sax, um, he was given the uh, 
charge of constructing an instrument that would be made of brass but be a woodwind instrument, a single reed like a clarinet, but it was sold to play military music out in the parade grounds outside, and uh, that was a kind of a limited, limited engagement for the instrument. What time period was this again? Early 1900s. Okay, and you played saxophone growing up and in the jazz band in college. What drew you to saxophone? Um, well, it was, it was an instrument that is fairly easy to, to get a, a, a decent sound. Um, the, um, the fingerings make sense. And um, my father had an instrument in the back of his closet, and I was uh, rooting around in there one day, and I found this uh, old saxophone that had been through World War II, and uh, um, he had uh, put it away in the closet, and uh, I, I discovered it and then asked him to teach me how to play it. And um, so we spent a weekend working on how to do that, and... Uh, um, I really enjoyed learning the instrument. That was the first instrument you ever learned to play? Yeah, I, I, they tried to teach me piano, but I put up such a stink that they quit, and um, I quit piano. It was just too difficult, so um, this was something I could, I could deal with. And what you just played right now is not a saxophone. What did you just play? It's, it's a flute that's been modified. Um, there's a, a friend of mine, Chris Abel, uh, who makes wooden flutes. And um, one of the, his ideas was to come up with a flute that has a whistle at the um, tip rather than the transverse flute, which you normally play sideways. This you play up and down like a saxophone. And it uh, has... Um, it has a whistle um, that uh, creates the sound waves that travel through the, the flute instrument. So it's a, it's a flute, but it has a um, vertical positioning rather than a transverse positioning and um, a whistle tip. Very cool. Well, thanks for classing up the joint here on Tuesday Night Live, the first episode of our new experimental live show. Thanks for tuning in on Instagram. If uh, you'd like to try to call in tonight, I think I've got a phone number available. Uh, the Google Voice is being a little strange. So if you'd like to, give us a shout at 469-844-0328. That's the number for the grown phone here live from the 1L Studios in friendly Bedford, Texas. Would you like a classy cigar? Absolutely. What we're smoking tonight is the Backwoods uh, 5-pack. And uh, I, uh, we need to christen the new studio here. We've had two studios now in friendly Bedford, Texas. The first studio was in a rental house. Now we own a house, and I'm trying to turn our garage into a multifunctional pull the cars in when there's hailstorms, pull the cars out when there's not hailstorms, and we can start recording and uh, talking about the golf league and talking to other grown men and grown women about what they find interesting in the world, see if we can educate ourselves. And... Uh, I've always enjoyed broadcasting. I did a radio show in college called Grown Man Radio, and it's evolved over time. We do a podcast. I'd love to do a terrestrial radio show down the line. We'll look into equipment for that. But without further ado, let's spark up a stogie for D. Welcome to Texas, D. 
Thank you. Now, uh, Dad is spending part of the year in Florida these days, part of the year in Cincinnati. Living the dream in Marco Island, Florida. A long, well-fought career has uh, set him up in the honey hole and the furthest southwest tip of Florida before you get to the Everglades right off of 75. And uh, we're, we're super glad to have Dee down here visiting and uh, getting to visit with my daughter. I got a daughter now, Grown Man Radio listener, Sophia is now with us, eight months old, excited to get her on the broadcast as soon as she's able to legally consent, of course, and uh, excited again to have you here with us, ladies and gentlemen, for the inaugural episode of Tuesday Night Live. Again, this is sort of my idea of how to create a business that I can continue to do the Tuesday Game Golf League uh, while also handling the many duties of being a dad. So we were doing the golf league every week. And now we're going to transfer to doing it once a month with the following rotation. The first Tuesday of the month, we're going to do Tuesday Night Live with a live guest every week, hopefully with live callers as well. The second Tuesday of the month will be a uh, behind-the-scenes screen printing session. I'm getting into screen printing in order to create some uh, low-cost merch for you, the Grown Man Radio, and Tuesday Game fans out there. I want to be able to, to do stuff by hand that's low-cost. My mom was here with me today. We did uh, a little thrifting. We found some blank shirts that uh, I'll be able to screen print. And uh, I'll show you an example of what we're going to be giving away tonight. We're going to be uh, auctioning off one piece and giving away one piece. So without further ado, let's take a look at what we're uh, bidding on tonight. I've got a couple of numbers right over here. Instagram Live, we're looking at a uh, first of its kind, the Tuesday game Wrangler shirt never worn before go ahead in the comments there and uh, leave your bid on this beautiful garment we're going to start the bidding at one dollar and uh, we're going to be doing a trivia question here later that will give you access to this shirt right here golf shirt at no cost here on tuesday night live thanks for joining us again leave your comments on what you'd like to bid on that shirt. The bidding starts at $1, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, the show format tonight is going to be a little bit edited because I wasn't able to get all the tech lined up that I wanted to have lined up, but it's okay. This is a rough draft. We're smoking cigars out in the garage. We're going to listen to some classy music. And uh, I want to talk golf, and uh, we're going to talk music and uh, we're going to try to get my mom in here for a surprise guest spot as well to maybe fill us in on some of her strategies for thrifting for all of you out there that are looking to make a couple extra bucks in this uh, challenging economic situation that we're entering with extreme inflation. Hopefully we can get buck trouts here live in studio to tell us 
how we can uh, maybe keep our head on a swivel in a thrift store to find something that we can flip and get some gas money. But before we get to that, D is big into a very niche aspect of the golf world. Very cool. He's traveling the country with friends playing in Hickory golf tournaments. What the heck is Hickory golf, Dad, and why do you find it so interesting? It seems that every year there is a whole new set of brand new golf clubs, brand new irons, brand new woods, uh, drivers, $600 or more. Um, and I think that it's just you get on this hamster wheel of, of going after the latest, the greatest. And the fact is that you can play pretty darn good golf and very satisfying golf with a hickory shaft and a basically uh, a simple, uh, very simple, solid persimmon wood. Um, a lot of people use a brassy a three wood. Um, it's a little easier to get that up in the air and you need to use a, a soft golf ball, um, something like a Wilson Pro Staff, uh, uh, Pro Soft, Dual Soft, any of the, uh, the marketed soft golf balls. Too hard, a um, couple of things you shouldn't do with hickory, you shouldn't uh, hit off a mat and you shouldn't hit range balls with them. But other than that, they're, they're, uh, they're meant to be hit and there's nothing quite like the feeling of getting it in the zone uh, with, a, with a wooden shaft and a wooden head. It gives you um, immediate positive feedback and also gives you immediate negative feedback because they are not as forgiving as modern clubs are. But um, uh, it's, uh, it is to the point where I'm uh, really enjoying uh, the challenge and uh, the interesting older courses that were um, built by the uh, Don Gross and uh, his ilk in the early part of the 20th century. And I got a few uh, items here. Can you walk us through maybe what we're looking at? You were kind enough to send me a beautiful set of my very own hickories. And uh, let's start with the lowest loft. We got the 20 degree one iron. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this stick right here? Well, um, the, a driving iron or, or one iron, a very little difference between them, um, is uh, um, used, uh, it's a shorter shaft, it's a little easier to get the uh, club head around and uh, through. Um, it would be used uh, if you wanted to keep the ball low, not too, not too far. Off the ground. How old is this club? It's about 90 years old. So this is what uh, Bobby the, Jones would yeah, have played? Yeah, around 1930. And uh, I like that all these clubs have names. What would they call the, uh, the number four here? Um, it's probably a, a mid-iron. The, the four or five would be a mid-iron. Uh, six would be a, a mashy. Um, seven mashy niblick. Um, uh, they they would go up to a nine, and uh, that would be a niblick. And what's this uh, bad boy right here? Is this a three wood? Um, that is probably um, a. 
A lot of these don't have uh, names on it. It's got some lead backing and a brass, so I would call this a brassy. And uh, when we've been experimenting with these, I find that it's maybe two clubs less than a modern, so seven iron is only going as far as my uh, nine iron, my modern club. Is that about what you're factoring in on your tournaments? Yeah, yeah. Try to, try to get a uh, uh, 100-yard club, which is usually at an eight iron, in the older hickory sets. And they've got these traveling circuits that you're playing in. What's the name of the group that you're you're playing with? Um, the, well, the Hickory Society has, every state has a, has a Hickory Society. Um, spend half the year in Florida, so the, the Florida Hickory Group um, is a Society of Hickory Golfers in Florida. And about how many people are playing in these events? I would say between 30 and 50. Um, and uh, we've got all, all age groups, uh, um, high school kids and, uh, and uh, college, college players as well. Very cool. Well, you sent me a link for one that has a pro division. And uh, I'd like to get the time to come and uh, play in one of these things and see if I can. I, I bet I'd probably shoot about the same score. Maybe have one or two more foozles than I would usually. Right, uh, a, a good golfer that that usually has the club in the in the correct pathway can transition into hickories very easily. Um, it um, is uh, it, very rewarding, but uh, not as forgiving as some of the modern clubs. And so you're taking a a look at the history of golf, and and right now we have an interesting future of golf. Uh, with the Live Golf Tour coming on the scene and uh, players choosing their allegiances. Do you have any uh, thoughts on the Live Tour, any particular feedback on that? I, I think that it, it uh, is a, a monetary issue. It's a, um, something that uh, you really can't find uh, an event to look at unless you are... Uh, digging deep into the uh, internet tough to watch the live right now yeah very difficult i haven't sat down and watched it i've seen a lot of the internet chatter going back and forth there's a little bit of chirping i saw that uh scheffler the uh, reigning masters champ put a little bit of a chirp out there a la the uh billy no not billy madison happy gilmore where the uh, tour veterans ask the newcomers to meet up on nine green at night and they're going to get hit by the sprinklers. So he was saying that live tour players for the champions dinner meet up on the nine fairway. Interesting little chirp there. But uh, again, give us a call if you have any thoughts on the live tour, anything about golf that you'd like to talk about. This is a live show. Live callers are welcome. The phone number is 469-844-0328. And, uh, you're spending your time between music and golf hobby-wise right now. So what's got your interest right now in music? The, I was asked um, by uh, one of our friends to uh, give a little talk about um, the history of the saxophone and, and uh, its introduction into jazz. Um, and, and that really has to do with this uh, Sidney Bechet. Uh, he was a um, fellow from New Orleans, uh, a Creole 
some French blood and African-American blood. And uh, he was a self-taught clarinet player, and that was one of the major uh, first instruments in jazz. And um, he got a chance to go to England to perform for the King uh, of England and a command performance. And while he was in London, he chanced upon a, a music shop that had a soprano sax in the window. And he really found this um, kind of an attraction, uh, was a, a, a marriage made in heaven, so to speak, with the instrument. Um, it, it, it opened up a whole class of instruments to the world of jazz. And we're talking about mm, right before the 20s, uh, in 1918, in that, in that region. But uh, he played the soprano sax and uh, became a, a very much uh, the leader of the, the saxophone in bringing it to the jazz music. And it was about the same time as they, they started making records and uh, RCA Victrola 78s available to everyday people. Um, before that, uh, before recorded music, you either had to uh, have your own orchestra or attend uh, the concerts in the hall and play piano uh, by yourself. There really was nothing recorded yet. So the first recordings were of the um, saxophone and the soprano sax. And so how do you, where are you learning all this? Is there a, a book that you've, been reading up on or um just kind of researching it through the through the internet and um you know it's amazing the accessibility of of um information um all you have to do is just type in a few names and and they're off with uh, articles from all over the world um interesting that jazz was initially spelled J-A-S and then J-A-S-Z and J-A-Z. It, it took a while before the, the, the word jazz, J-A-Z-Z, was used um, exclusively. Um, so it, it uh, took a while for the saxophone to be incorporated into this, but uh, it is certainly one of the major instruments nowadays in jazz and we've had a chance uh you you have taken me to a couple of uh jazz clubs i remember fondly when i was playing a tournament up in kansas and you recommended we go to the uh green lady lounge that was a cool night historic lounge and uh the lakewood theater here in town also had a cool sort of back room jazz club and uh it's a it's a very interesting experience if you've never gotten into jazz as a young person it's uh it's a cool experience it's a very sort of quantum creative collaborative form of music and there's sort of an etiquette of of which instrument is taking the lead and there's this sort of unspoken cycle when they go around and and everybody kind of does an improvisational solo um that that I found very interesting is that the way the jazz has been done since the 
inception? Yeah, the the original jazz bands were were more novelty things, and and there wasn't a lot of improvisation. Um, but the artists that that play now really um, create um, a sound painting, uh, if you will, um, rather than a visual painting. But they they take the chords that uh, a given song is following a chord progression, and they will add on a melody. And if you listen to them for three nights, they will do a different each time. Um, so they, they truly are making up a, a melody as they go. And it's um, very uh, spontaneous. And there is this sort of collaboration between looks, nods, um, signals that, uh, you know, second ending is coming up and uh, they have their own um, sort of unspoken language as to, to communicate who's next up and, and uh, how, the, how the night is going to go. And so when you're going to a jazz club, uh, are you sitting there with your eyes closed and listening to the music? Do you find yourself looking at the, the talent of the musicians? What, where, do you, where does your attention get drawn when you're at a jazz club? Well, it's it's not it's not a visual um, attention. They they often will stand very still, and their fingers are moving so fast that you can hardly see them. So it's 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 really um, you're you're taking in the sound and and looking from person to person to kind of see who's going to be going next and and uh, whether um, the solo that they are doing is. Uh, making sense, is sounding good, um, makes you want to hear more or the opposite. Well, I'll tell you what I want to hear more of is uh, a little uh, number called When You're Smiling. You think you can uh, play us out while I try to go get uh, Mom in here for the uh, finale of the show here? Sure, that'd be great. This is an old song from the 1920s. Gotta switch my glasses. Just the theme. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, when you're smiling. I'll be right back, hopefully, with Dr. Susan Brokaw of Buck Trouts.
and gentlemen, Dr. Dirk Winnell, when you're smiling. Let's keep it going for the other half of my existence creation. Give it up for Dr. Susan Brokaw of Buck Trouts, giving us a little insider scoop on what to be looking for at the thrift store so you can flip some stuff on eBay. Give it up for the good Dr. Susan Brokaw. Please welcome, please step up to the microphone and share the bounty. Thanks, Dad. Hey, Ma. Try to saddle up on this puppy, get about one fist away from it. Okay. Welcome to Texas. Thank you. And from Florida. Thanks. Glad to have you here. Uh, had a lovely morning with you today here in the uh, mid-cities. We did a little run down Pipeline. There's a bunch of thrift stores in this area. And uh, I think you found some, some nice items. Can you uh, walk us through what you uh, found in the, uh, at the end of the rainbow today? Yeah, sure. Um, can you put out those cigars? Oh, you, run, you don't want a couple of puffs on uh, that backwood? No, thanks. Okay, we'll get them offset here. Thank you. What are we looking at here? Um, well, this was the first thing that I found, and um, it's a little towel rack, but the interesting thing about it is the fact that somebody hand-painted it, and I think it's a scene from the Texas Hill Country with um, blue mountains in the background and bluebells or blue bonnets in the foreground. But it's kind of charming and uh, rustic, and naive and um, so it was very inexpensive and I think it will be a good good thing to try to resell. And so what uh, captured your eye about this piece that made it uh, worth a buy at $2.99? Um, the fact that it's not a mass-produced item. It was uh, painted by somebody very lovingly so it's a one-of-a-kind item. It might have been that her husband cut the sh wooden shape out in his uh, wood shop and then she painted on it, but um, it was very, very charming and one of a kind. And so we bought this for two ninety nine, and you've got a resale shop in Cincinnati uh, called Buck Trouts. What do you think you could slap a price tag on this for and sell it? Um, probably around twenty five to thirty dollars. So a little ten x. Yes. Upgrade there. Absolutely. Well, well done. And this would be for a tea towel? For a tea towel, yes. Very good, very good. What else you got in your bag of tricks over there? You could also put a golf towel on that. You could put a golf towel on it. Ladies and gentlemen, you can bid on it live right now. You can send us the Venmo and we'll send this to you. $30 for the golf towel tea towel rack. Next up, we have the Sift Whisk, whisk bake kind of a live laugh love kind of a feel uh tell us what we're looking at here well um this is not old it's actually from hobby lobby but it's got a lot of decorative appeal and since i do have a vintage shop in cincinnati and i have an area i sell a lot of kitchenware and a lot of bakeware so i will use this as kind of a sign to indicate 
where some of those baking items are. Okay, and uh, what about this piece caught your eye? Well, it's, um, it's heavy duty for one thing. It's not flimsy. It's got a nice crenellated um, galvanized metal border, kind of looks like a pie pan, like a, like a pie crust pan. Um, and I don't know, it's just got that kind of white and gray motif that's very popular and um, kind of farmhousey and and just sort of um, fun and in your face a little bit. Love it. And we bought this for? That was kind of expensive. It was um, $6. $6.99. And, uh, but it still had the Hobby Lobby price on it for $17.99. So sometimes when I'm finding things that are just signage for my booth or things that I it's not critical that I sell it I'm willing to pay a little bit more for it very good ladies and gentlemen if you want the sift whisk bake you know where to go find us here on Tuesday night live leave a comment if you want to pick that up what's your ask on that one um well for right now um I'm probably not going to put a price on it but if I do it'll probably be in the $25 range Reasonable. Yes. What we got next? Um, well, this is a little atypical for me. I'm, I'm not a clothing seller, reseller, but this, um, this was a kind of a little springtime wrap that's very pretty. It's very springtime colors, green and pinks and light blue. And it had these cute little pom-poms on here. Not tassels, but pom-poms. And I know there's a big difference in the golf world. Yeah, I mean, what, to you, what is the separation between tassel and pom-pom? Well, a pom-pom is, is a rounded um, structure as opposed to a tassel, which is kind of shaggy and dangly, kind of like what a cat would play with. Interesting. And uh, what did we scoop this up for? This was, uh, oh, the other thing I forgot to say is that, oh, at this thrift shop, I got an additional 30% off because I'm in the over 55 category. Boom. I bet in this economy, you're going to see some young people getting fake IDs to get those senior discounts. Mark yeah. those margins up, baby. That's right. So this cost me, I think, about $1.50. And discount. what can we flip it for realistically? Um, I think this is a $25 item. Boom. That'll fill up half of the gas tank. What we got next? Okay, well, this um, this is just an apron, but it's an apron that has not been used. And I sell a lot of aprons at Buck Trouts. Half aprons, full aprons, skinny aprons, sexy aprons. But this is just a utilitarian apron for the kitchen. It's got pockets, so it could be used for the garden or in the kitchen. So these are big sellers for me. Everybody loves an apron. And when I see a, a, a naked garment like that without any logos on it, right now my screen printing brain is going crazy. Would there be any possibility that we could drum up a little Buck Trout's logo and slap it on there while you're still in town? Or is that going to ruin your resale value? Well, maybe we could screen print, sift, whisk, and bake on it. Whatever you want to do. That would have a double dinger and that you could sell them as a package set. Exactly. Okay. You're thinking. Now we're thinking. You're thinking. We got anything else in your box of tricks over there? Um, 
Yeah, we do. Um, we have a very nice American-made maple rolling pin. This is an, another sort of thing. I sell a ton of uh, rolling pins, um, especially in the fall for pie baking time. But this is a nice solid maple rolling pin made in the United States with wooden handles. This is a size that's best for home, home bakers as opposed to some of the commercial rolling pins that are much larger, but most kitchens don't have the kind of the space to, to do a great big, huge rolling pin. So I like to do focus on these that are best for the home baker. And we picked this up for $6. Yeah, but again, 30% off. Okay, so that's $10.60, uh, $1.80 off. Yeah. And um, so I sell my... Uh, if you buy these kind of things at Williams-Sonoma, they're in the 75 to $90 range for a good American-made, because these things will last for a generation or more. So these, I like to sell in my booths for anywhere between $25 and $30. And uh, what's the best way to move something like this? You put it in the booth or with something like this, is this like a commodity that'll go quicker on eBay? No, they're a dime a dozen on, on eBay, but I like to keep a large orchard basket, a big apple basket full of different kinds of rolling pins. So this will go in my, in my basket. And if somebody at home is listening and said, hey, I'd like to go and uh, collect a bunch of nice stuff and sell it, is that pretty common that you can find an antique store that you pay rental to, to have a booth and then you get a consignment or a, a check cut to you every time you make a sale? Um, well, most, most markets these days have uh, multi-vendor antique malls, and um, some cities have more than one. They're very, very popular, and they have supplanted the individual antique dealer that had their own little private shop. It's it's just an economy of scale that uh, people do better in a, in a large mall format. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for sharing the uh, rolling pin. We got sure. anything else over there? Um, just a couple of coffee mugs. They're nothing too, too extraordinary, and just some cotton napkins because I sell a lot of vintage vintage linens as well but uh but they're the kind of things that you you tend to see most often and you've been in the flipping game for how long now uh since 2007 and uh if you could give yourself any advice day one flipping susan what would you tell her um buy low sell high well said That'll uh, work in pretty much any environment, ladies and gentlemen. And right now you're in the environment of the Tuesday Night Live show from the 1L Studios in friendly Bedford, Texas. I'd like to thank you for joining us. Big thanks to uh, Dee and Gigi for uh, dropping in and helping christen the uh, studio for our first episode of Tuesday Night Live. Thanks for tuning in on Instagram Live, everybody. Again, we are uh, auctioning off a couple of garments here. Not too late to get your hands on this, a Wrangler All Day Comfort, new with tag, uh, with the Tuesday game logo on the uh, left chest there above the buttons. Kind of a unique position there. You see a lot of shirts that have the left chest logo, but this has 
double chest pockets and the logo on the uh, above the pocket there. I mean, what does something like that go for? I mean, a couple hundred dollars? At least. Uh, this is a, a large, ladies and gentlemen, a large. Uh, get your bid in here before the end of the show. And again, as we mentioned, we have a trivia question tonight for this little number. You can win this one for free. It's the Saddlebred Comfort Flex Large Golf Shirt with the screen-printed Tuesday game on the left pocket. We called that the Frocket in college because all the frat daddies had the uh, the pocket shirts. But uh, I thought this would be kind of a nice little casual number for our Tuesday game fans out there. And uh, the trivia question tonight comes from a recent travel to Colorado where we went to a, kind of an Old West cowboy uh apparel and boots and hat store and you guys get to participate in this trivia question as well i asked the lady that it was was fixing melissa's dad's hat uh, about hats and she'd been doing it for 50 years and i asked her what, what are the best quality hats made of and she said that the best quality hats are made of a moose b beaver c elk or D, cow. Do we have any guesses? Beaver. Beaver is correct. And since we have no participation in the live stream, congratulations on going home with this Saddlebred Large Comfort Flex Golf Shirt. I'm so excited. I never win anything. Congratulations. How'd you know that? Was it because my multiple choice questions were left one out that was obvious, or did you already know that? No, beaver beaver hats are um, very collectible, and they're vintage. The beaver Hombergs, they are um, very, very expensive hats. Well, I thought I was going to stump her, but uh, that's easier said than done. All right, that's about it for us here from the uh, 1L Studios in friendly Bedford, Texas. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for dropping in, helping me get this show going. Sure. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Look forward to seeing you on March 28th for the opener of Season 5 of the Tuesday Game at Westdale Hills here in friendly Bedford, Texas. We're going to have a 1.30 tee time. It is a two-man scramble for nine holes and then the back nine, we're going to have a little shootout for some cash. $60 for the two-man team. That's uh, going to be $20 to the golf course, $10 to the game. You're going to get a participation T-shirt, hand screen printed, if you come out and play at Westdale Hills. So find you a PARDS, and uh, we'll see you out there for a 130 shotgun on Tuesday, March 28th. Keep up the good leisure, everyone.